Hello everyone, you are listening to Cinema 5000. I'm Mallory, back to talk to you about some films. Included in this episode are going to be a discussion about the five nominated films in the documentary short subject category for the 2024 Academy Awards, that is short subject documentaries from the year of 2023. Uh, So we'll get to that in a little bit, but let's talk about the count. The count, we're at 5,453 films. So uh, I think I had about 12, including those shorts, to talk to you about today. Uh, yeah, it's a lot, but, (laughs) uh, the shorts are shorts, so I don't necessarily have to do a lot of really deep dive into what they are, but where do we start? We start with the movie Enemies Men from 2022, though I think it was released in 2023, earlier, uh, in that year, uh, directed by Mark Jenkin. There is no tagline for this movie, uh, but the summary goes like this. A wildlife volunteer on an uninhabited island off the British coast descends into a terrifying madness that challenges her grip on reality and pushes her into a living nightmare. I don't know if this is really a terrifying madness necessarily, but this is really a movie that you're either going to really, really like and be into its messaging and the sort of mystical, psychological stuff going on, or you're just going to think it's boring as shit. (laughs) Um, I didn't necessarily think it was boring. I was like game for this. I was like, this is the perfect time to watch it. I just had like an evening where I had some time just to get into the movie and, you know, chill out and relax and watch it. So I felt like I really prepared myself for this, but ultimately by the end of the film, I was just kind of left a little disappointed because uh, there's a lot of things that are maybe flashbacks, maybe they're not. lots of messaging in the movie about what's going on and feelings and tragedies and things that could have happened on this island that are a little bit obtuse like it's a movie where you're not sure quite what you're looking at and then eventually it shows you it again and again and again (laughs) um (laughs) so it's a it's a little bit it's a little odd uh (laughs) uh there's some stuff that happens around mayday which is not a spoiler so if you know anything about mayday like maples and stuff but um but not in like the wicker man sense oh no uh (laughs) it's just it's a movie that is truly truly just about observing or maybe not observing things that have happened on such island and such I really don't want to label this as a horror. Like, it's it's kind of a thriller. It's kind of, kind of just a drama. Uh, yeah, it is a bit odd and different. Um, I, <laughs> I know this is a movie that is modern and trying to really ape a more, I don't want to say classic style, but an older style, like from the 70s. It does and does not do a good job in that because I think a lot of film... <laughs> this is the thing. This is trying to ape a style that's from 50 years ago. There's a lot of movies made from back then that looked pretty awesome, even those that, that are low budget. So there's kind of some inexcusable shots that were a little off-center and not really great at showing you what it, the, you're supposed to be looking at, like to give it that feel. So that I found a little annoying, especially since this is a movie that is trying to do an older style. It's like you can not make your movie look cheap if you're trying to look old and low budget. There's definite ways to do that without giving the audience a headache or eye strain. Uh, 
it's almost a success. Like there was enough stuff going on that I kept with it, but um, not enough that like I felt like I really needed to d dive deeper into the storytelling to get like more out of it. Like do some further reading about the director's inspiration, about the storytelling and the scripting, and what was what's really going on because it is written by the director. But um, yeah, Annie's Men just didn't quite work for me. I gave it two stars. Um, you can watch this now on Hulu and also Canopy. I watched it on Canopy. Uh, if you don't have Canopy, I do want to let you know. <laughs> Canopy has like tons of A24 movies on there. So if you're one of those people all about the A24, like you can watch newer stuff like Past Lives on there, Bo is Afraid. And uh, it's a great service that you can get through your local library. And if your library doesn't have it, ask for Canopy by name. No, <laughs> um, no, truly like Canopy and Hoopla are great resources, especially in this day and age when we've got streaming services upping their prices and stuff like that and kind of driving you crazy. Like for me, um, I've been trying to figure out where to drive my attention and also making sure I'm getting my money's worth. So like I've canceled stars recently because I never watch stars and through the years I found myself really liking stars and what selection they have, but it's just not happening anymore. So stars, you're out of here. Uh, and then I actually found out tonight I get a six month free MGM plus subscription, which I didn't realize. So I set that up. So from today I have six months of that and six months to uh, I do believe watch every James Bond movie if I want to. <laughs> I should do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, let's move on. Next movie. Uh, we've got The Black Coat's Daughter from 2015, directed by Osgood Perkins or Oz Perkins or the son of the actor Anthony Perkins. Yes, Norman Bates. Uh, the tagline is Abandoned as a Child, Raised by the Dark. In the dead of winter, Kat and Rose, two very different girls, find themselves spending winter break at their prestigious prep school. What they don't know is that Kat is being stalked by an evil entity, and their lives are about to change forever. Meanwhile, Joan, a young troubled woman, makes her way across a frozen landscape towards the school. But why? Uh... Hmm, I heard some good things about this movie and then some not-so-good things. I'm unfortunately on the side of this is not so good. I found a lot of the storytelling, choice, storytelling choices here uh, to try to like weave a web of intrigue not very successful. Uh, I didn't think the acting was very good and um, some of the scenery and setups for scenes um, were just trying to be like dark and spooky but failing completely. Like it just felt flat um, and badly directed. Uh, I just, I found none of this really compelling. Uh, there are some shots in the dark where you're just kind of like, oh, what did I see? What was that? And then it changes gears and it's like kind of making you think, ooh, what was that? But I just was never grasped and grabbed by what was going on here. And the characters weren't necessarily written very well either. Uh, Kiernan Shipka, uh, Emma Roberts and Lucy Boynton star in the film. And Kiernan Shipka plays Kat. And like, I was most on board with like what was going on with Kat because her situation uh, seemed a little frustrating. Uh, but she was just barely a character and unfortunately Lucy Boynton plays the girl that Rose that she has to spend time with and the two of them together it's just it was like the most uninteresting way to like frame two teenage girls who are going through something uh there was there's barely any setup like you're just thrown into the scenario and then the stuff with Joan which is like I'm not going to spoil the film but it's all it's they're all connected uh really did nothing for me and 
Um, it's too bad. Uh, I look forward to movies that are about, you know, teenagers and maybe talk to some kind of experience reminiscent of whatever I've gone through in my life, especially about young women. And this just had like nothing that really pushed my buttons, so to speak. And I did, I, once there was like a reveal at the end, I just like questioned why, why do this movie like this? And I hate to say it, but it just all speaks to me that, um, just inexperience causes movies to be like this, like an, an, an inability to really convey, uh, storytelling in an impactful way. Um, and I say this coming from me, this isn't like me painting this movie with like a, you know, very negative brush because I do know people who enjoy this movie. I mean, great for them, but doesn't fit, doesn't work for me. Um, so I gave it one and a half stars. It just kind of felt like a waste of time, unfortunately. And I just, I just found this completely dull and just really, frankly, um, a bit of a bore and it's end conclusion. Just, uh, I just felt this like really missed the mark really didn't know not so good and soon after Perkins made this he made uh he made another film I watched like part of it of a sleepover and I just a sleepover I say that as if I'm a teacher teenager no I was at somebody's house for like the night and we were gonna watch a movie and it was really really late and we turned on his other movie I am the pretty thing that lives in the house and I had the same problem with that movie as I did with the black coat's daughter (laughs) <laughs> but I did see his uh, film after that one, Gretel and Hansel, which I think aesthetically is stronger on a lot of fronts. Character-wise, also stronger, though that could be be because it stars Sophia Lillis, who is really, really great. Uh, it also has a good performance by the woman who plays the witch. She is played by Alice Creek. Uh, and that one just has like a little more setup. But that also felt very slight, so I probably just don't like Oz Perkins' movies, unfortunately, and I know he has another one coming out later. I don't know if I'm going to go to that one, but let's move on from Blackout's Daughter. As I said, one and a half stars for that one. Uh, another horror film. I did the same thing again, where I was just like, let's do horror, let's do strange stuff. Uh, it's Piranha from 1978, directed by Joe Dante. The tagline is, a hideous death lurked unseen in the river. When flesh-eating piranhas are accidentally released into the summer resort's rivers, the guests become their next meal. Oh boy. (laughs) So, Piranha. What do I know about Piranha going into Piranha? I knew it was directed by Joe Dante. So, Joe Dante, legendary filmmaker, did films such as Gremlins, oh gosh, what else? Uh, The Burbs, Gremlins 2, Small Soldiers, though I never saw that one. Though The Howling, yes, The Howling. Uh, also did a segment in Twilight Zone, the movie, and Matinee, a movie I haven't seen since I was a kid, but I remember loving quite a bit. Just a crafty filmmaker, creature feature kind of guy. Uh, so Piranha, low-budget 70s movie. Was it a fun time? Yes, it was. Obviously, like in like a B-movie kind of way, because the way that the piranhas get into the river... The setup is like classic horror movie setup. Uh, <laughs> two people go skinny dipping in what they think is just safe waters. And it just cracked me up in the beginning when these two people go swimming because it's like straight out of Jaws. Uh, <laughs> and um, 
they go swimming in like the sketchiest place that is like definitely like some kind of water uh treatment plant or something like to like just the assumption of like you saw it you just be like why would i go swimming in there but they go swimming in there and of course the piranhas attack and then the piranha get the piranhas get into the river and it's like well how do we stop them um it's really silly but it's fun like along the way there's uh people who show up who i recognize at least paul bartell who is a comedian or excuse me, comedic actor and director who has done a number of movies that are quite nasty and like dark and black comedy kind of materials. But whenever I see him in a film, I just get excited because I know he's going to bring it. And he plays a camp counselor uh, in this uh, movie. And of course, the piranhas go into the river in the path of the camp where there are children uh, and terrible stuff happens. So knowing this movie had someone like him in the film, you see him pretty early on. Um, that set me up for a great experience. And then we have the legendary actress Barbara Steele. I don't know if you know who Barbara Steele is, but Barbara Steele, she's got a face that is made for like horror and witchery. She's been in films such as Black Sunday, Shivers, and also Eight and a Half, the classic film <laughs> by uh, Fellini. Um, but she, I've, I've seen her in, her in a number of films. Oh man. She was in The Young Torless. I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> just a horror actress who is playing a doctor who kind of knows, but doesn't know. She doesn't really let on, but her eyes tell you otherwise that she knows what's been going on with these piranhas and the experiments and why exactly they exist. So the movie is basically piranhas attack, people die. Um, <laughs> there's a child who is one of the peoples who is trying to save the day's child and, um, they're at the camp. So the child is on a raft and oh no, they might fall in the water. Oh no. Um, it's such a silly movie, but it's a lot of fun too. I gave this three stars. Like it didn't disappoint me in any way. I think that's the important thing. It, you see the poster, you know, it's Piranha, you know, it's 1978 directed by Joe Dante. What do you want? You got it. Uh, but this is definitely a film that if somebody told me it was like one of the worst movies they ever seen, I, I understand completely. <laughs> Um, it's fun. Uh, I will tell you that it does star Bradford Dillman and Heather Menzies and Kevin McCarthy and Keenan Wynn, Dick Miller, of course. Uh, he's in a number of Joe Dante films. Um, but it's a good time. I gave it three stars. Uh, will I see Piranha 2, which is directed by James Cameron? That is the question. Yeah, probably. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. Oh, um, Piranha. Also, if you want to watch it, it's on Tubi. I watched it on... How did I watch it? Did I watch it on Tubi? I did watch it on Tubi. Or maybe I watched it on Hoopla. It's on, like, every streaming service. <laughs> Just looking at Letterboxd, it says Canopy, Peacock, Shutter, Tubi, and I watch it on Hoopla. So, yeah, you can watch it for free right now if you want to. But something else I did definitely watch on Tubi is the film Cherry 2000 from 1987, directed by Steve D. Jarnat. The tagline is, Need a bounty hunter? She's your man. When successful businessman Sam Treadwell finds that his android wife, Cherry Model 2000, has blown a fuse, he hires sexy renegade tracker E. Johnson to find her exact duplicate. But as their journey to replace his perfect mate leads them into the treacherous and lawless region of, quote, the zone, unquote, Treadwell learns the hard way that the perfect woman is made not of computer chips or diodes. <laughs> 
<laughs> I wasn't expecting that word diodes. I almost looked at it and said duty. Anyway, um, Melanie Griffith plays E. Johnson, the tracker who, uh, Mr. Sam Treadle, who's played by David Andrews hires. So the film starts out, if you've seen the movie Blade Runner 2049, it kind of, you kind of get the sense that the uh, version of Blade Runner back then was setting from the early 80s, the Ridley Scott one, is setting up for this experience and maybe Blade Runner 2049 ripped off Cherry 2000 a little bit, but basically this guy has this perfect robot wife, um, they have dinner together, everything's great, and then they make out and they're about to, you know, do what they do together, um, and there's soap on the floor and water and all of a sudden, uh oh, uh, yeah, his, uh, robot lady is, a uh, busted. So what's he going to do? Well, she's a special, special model and, um, he needs parts. So he's going to have to go get a replacement of her because he cannot replace her. So he's got basically like a chip that is, um, messaging that sounds like her and it's her talking to him again very reminiscent of Blade Runner 2049 um <laughs> so he essentially has what she is on this disc and this chip uh but needs the new version of her new model to replace to install like basically she's the hard drive he needs a new computer because we yeah, busted um but yeah, so the tracker, finding that doll is kind of hard, and uh, he has to go to a place called Glory Hole to eventually find E. Johnson, um, and on the journey of trying to get to the special zone to get the new doll, the movie just kind of falls apart. I would say like the first like 30, 40 minutes or so, maybe that's being generous, I think the thir first 30 minutes is set up like really well. The way the world world looks, it's like very cementy and futuristic, and I was into it. It looked really cool. Um, the progression of the story was fine. Uh, Melanie Griffith's introduction was fine, um, and I liked her character. I just think it's funny. It's like the movie's called Cherry 2000, and Mary Melanie Griffith, you assume she's the Cherry 2000, but she's not, because she's got this big red um, <laughs> big red head of hair. Uh, <laughs> uh, so then it kind of becomes like Mad Maxi a bit, like on the road in the desert, and they clearly just shot this in like Nevada or California somewhere. Um, and it just falls, yeah, like I said, falls apart. It's not very interesting. There's like this side apocalyptic like landscape where these people are living, and they're a little like weird, like they'd be out of a Pee Wee Herman movie or something like that. Um, and then it becomes like the conflict of trying to stop these people because they're trespassing and other stuff and they shouldn't get to the zone but he eventually gets to the zone and things happen um yeah this movie it seems like it was all concept until it wasn't when they actually had to finish the film and uh I couldn't even tell you like what the bad guys were really at about at that point as far as maybe they were just trying to stop E. Johnson. Like, I lost interest so fast, but for that beginning film and its setup, um, I do give the film two stars. Like, it wasn't, like, a total failure. Like, it had some ideas. This would be an interesting movie to try to remake, though you'd have to do a lot, a lot to it to make it, like, fun and successful because whatever was going on in the desert there, it just flopped, like, really land. Uh, all the while, Melanie Griffith is, like, doing a good job. She's fine. She's, she's exciting. She's fun. Like, she's really, like, running the show, and, uh, yeah. I, I enjoy seeing her in this part. Uh, I've seen, like, a number of films she's in, but I haven't seen everything she's in, and 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess this is why I've never heard anybody say like, oh, this is one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah, because it just doesn't quite work. Uh, but I can see nostalgia like for this being like a big thing for some people. And maybe you saw this on TV as a kid on cable or something. It just feels like one of those movies that's kind of lost to time, but has something about it still that is the reason why it's like on Tubi in general, frankly, because it just, it just, it's got something. It's not great but you know an attempt was made so two stars for cherry 2000 from 1987 directed by steve dejarnet uh yeah i'm i was really disappointed because once that setup it was going with the quest to yeah meet up and get the tracker and uh have her character um help out this dude E. Johnson was just, like, she was cool. She had, like, you know, her car, and she's just, like, I drive without the lights on. I just feel the road. I don't need to know, you know, what's in front of me. I just know. And it's, like, yeah, she was cool. She was fun. Not good movie, though. <laughs> uh, I do want to mention, though, it's funny. I mentioned Pee-wee's, Pee-wee's Playhouse, Pee-wee Herman movie, whatever. Lawrence Fishburne, you may know as Cowboy Curtis, he's in this movie. <laughs> Okay, what's up next? Well, we have the uh, nominated documentary short subject films that are part of the 2024 Academy Awards celebrating the films of 2023. The Oscars will be announced and airing on TV and all that stuff on March 10th. We've got uh, a couple weeks before that, exactly two weeks, so I'm going to try to squeeze in as many films as I can, uh, but the documentary short subject nominees are all available online, so I gave them all a shot. The first one that I watched is called Nai Nai and Waipo. It is directed by Sean Wong, and the uh, summary goes like this. A multi-generational story celebrating director Sean, director Sean Wong's two grandmothers, one on his father's side and the other on his mother's side. This is a charming, sweet little documentary about these two women living together. They're farting, uh, them playing dress up, you know, cutesy kind of stuff. Some of it, I, it did feel like it was like trying for the cameras a little bit, but it's fine. Uh, the story of older folks living together and how they interact and what their relationship is totally fine. Uh, up next, we have The Last Repair Shop from 2023, directed by Ben Proudfoot and Chris Bowers. In a warehouse in the heart of Los Angeles, a dwindling handful of devoted craftspeople maintain more than 80,000 student musical instruments, the largest remaining workshop in America of its kind. Meet four unforgettable characters whose broken and repaired lives have been dedicated to bringing so much more than music to the school children of this city. Uh, great mission, of course, but I found this documentary to be a little bit too overly sappy and very structured in a way to kind of make you cry and feel like, oh, everything's so heartwarming. Um, like I said, great mission, uh, great concept. Bringing music to schools is so important, especially in this day and age when school budgets get slashed and opportunities for children to learn an instrument, you know, might not be so very feasible for them. But I, as a documentary, I just wasn't a fan of this one. Yeah, uh, let's move on. Next, we have The Barber of Little Rock, directed by John Hoffman and Christine Turner. This has a tagline, which is one man's fight for a just economy. 
explores the racial wealth gap in America through the story of People Trust, a homegrown community bank in Little Rock, Arkansas, working to uplift a community that has largely ex been excluded from the financial engines that create wealth. So, yeah, this is a great little portrait about just income inequality and how uh, families might not actually have actually have ownership or the ability to have a business of their own. But this story is about a community that is engaging with individuals to help them get the resources uh, and the perspective of how do we help people who have been denied the ability to be successful become successful. And that's great. It's a great mission. Uh, the documentary does very much feel like something you'd see on PBS. Um, nothing wrong with that. It is just a very typical kind of style documentary. It's nothing too flashy. has a lot of interviews with people about things that they were denied and also the history of Little Rock when it comes to rent lighting and communities where people were just, you know, not given the ability to do something that any Tom, Dick, and Harry, whatever, who was white, was maybe given as far as the ability to find their way and establish business. Uh, yeah, it's fine. I, uh, I didn't find it to be flashy or anything and that's okay uh ultimately i watch these documentary short subjects and yes they all have good messages but uh, it's like should we judge them on the front of you know how good it is in filmmaking i mean ultimately the last repair shop just felt too you know i don't want to say saccharine but just made in a way that was kind of you know, oh, it just has these things about it. But this is more straightforward and it's good. And it's a story that, you know, can happen anywhere in this country and has happened over, the, you know, hundreds of years with people being denied and uh, systems of oppression, uh, basically leaving them without the ability to support themselves and find a way to establish uh, income through the just general ownership, you know, uh, as opposed to working for someone else, like somebody trying to figure out, I mean, it is called Barber of Little Rock. And it's about, you know, owning your business, owning your talents and giving back to the community through that. Uh, so good subject. Yes. Maybe not the best documentary short of all time, of course, but like, <laughs> you know, it's fine. It's good. Uh, it's watchable. That's the important thing. It's very watchable. Uh, up next, we have the ABCs of book banning from 2023, directed by Sheila Nevins. In recent years, more than 2,500 books have been removed from school districts around the United States, labeled as banned, restricted, or challenged, and made unavailable to millions of students. By no accident, the themes targeted are the usual scapegoats of the American right, LGBTQ plus issues, black history, and women's empowerment. Impending impeding the future, that is, future generations to develop their own thoughts and opinions of critical social issues. By weaving together a lyrical montage of young readers and authors, the ABCs of Book Banning reveals the voices of the impacted parties and inspires hope for the future through the profound insights of inquisitive youthful minds. So yes, a very good cause talking about book banning. This is terrible. This is such a badly made short. Sheila Nevins, I don't know if you guys know this, but she's like been with HBO for years and uh, has kind of worked in like their documentary I want to say she's like part of HBO documentaries, like the, one of the main organizers of it. So like she made this. It's bad. I thought this was just, just ugh, not good filmmaking, period. And uh, yeah, I don't, 
I don't know what else to say. It just feels like they maybe filmed this in like a day. They like went somewhere. They're just like, let's just get some children to talk about these books and then we'll throw some graphics together and we'll get an Oscar nomination or something like that. Like, I hate to be negative, but that's truly how it feels. So let's move on. Up next, we have Island in Between from 2023, directed by S. Leo Xiang. Uh, there is a tagline. It says, a personal poetic look. At, an un at the uneasy peace on the front line between Taiwan and China. The rural Taiwanese outer banks of Kinmen sit near merely two miles off the coast of China. Kinmen attracts tourists for its remains from the 1949 Chinese Civil War. It also marks the front line for Taiwan in its escalating tension with China. I think I did like this one the most. It had like a bit more style to it. It was a personal take on this conflict between China and Taiwan, uh, the individual central to it, uh, just talking about his experiences and how it feels to try to navigate between two countries and your family and uh, also just just the, the way things are, like daily life and how Taiwan, uh, its independence, um, is affecting his life. So it's directed by S. Leo Shang, and he uh, also stars in the film as well uh, as, you know, his self, <laughs> not stars. It's just his his life, his experiences, and uh, it's, yeah, what's the saying? Slice of life. It is pretty much that. I like this one. Probably like this one the best. Uh, I liked its perspective. I liked its, um, it's just really to the point ideas about what kind of experiences these people have so that's my uh my glimpse my look at the nominated documentary short subject films which one will win um from what i've read online it's probably going to be the last repair shop because it you know it's it's just a flashier kind of it's it's almost it almost feels like a narrative film the way it's made uh i would think like the island in between and the barber of little rock should win uh though it could be nine nine and waipo i don't know anything about this voting body and how it works um i i do know that like the the documentary i want to say the documentary narrative um branch like how they nominate things like they've been there's been some revolt against the more populist films <laughs> over the years like if you remember back in the day like march of the penguins one yeah um but that's those that's my take on those films and uh you can watch them all online i will tell you where the um so the following are available on youtube they are island in between and the barber of little rock the ABCs of book banning that is available on Paramount Plus, and Nai Nai and Waipo and The Last Repair Shop are available on Hulu. So you can check those out whenever you want on those services. Though I will say the uh, live action shorts, excuse me, the live action shorts and the animated shorts, I don't think many of them are online. Maybe just a couple, um, but not like the full five, like all those uh, documentary short subjects. Um, so uh, I'm going to probably give the animated films a look if I can make it to a theater. I'm hoping I can. 
I think I'm most interested in those. Um, I've heard some other negative things about the live action shorts, <laughs> which is too bad because I've, I've seen the batch of live action shorts before and really enjoyed, um, at least half of them or a number of them, but you know, maybe it's an off year who can tell. And also maybe you'll watch these documentary shorts and be like, Mallory, you're wrong about all of them. They're all fantastic or something like that. <laughs> um, that's the thing. It's just opinions. Um, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, up next. Let's talk about Madam Web from 2024, directed by S.J. Clarkson. The tagline is, Her web connects them all. Forced to confront revelations about her past, paramedic Cassandra Webb forges a relationship with three young women destined for powerful futures. If they can all survive a deadly present. That deadly present? What is that? Oh my gosh. It's the bad guy who is threatening them because he has a vision. He has a vision that these young women... And Madam Web, well, maybe not Madam Web, uh, specifically, but he just foresees his death. This bad guy, Ezekiel, what's his last name? Ezekiel Sims, who's played by Taha Rahim. Uh, he dresses up in like a Spider-Man-like costume, and you don't know why, uh, <laughs> but uh, he actually has a past with Cassandra Webb's mother, her late mother, who died in childbirth. Um, there's a spider he was seeking for life and power and whatever, and her mother was also going after that same spider uh, in Peru. And it just so happens, well, now in the present, uh, Cassandra, who is all grown up now, but living alone and gone through the foster system, who doesn't have much going on in her life other than being a paramedic and having good chemistry with her co-worker, Ben Parker, played by Adam Scott. Like, I thought they were going to be a couple. And it's like, oh, man, they would actually make a good couple. Like, you'd believe it. Um, but no, that's not how things work in the... Um, let's just say the web universe here. Um, <laughs> uh, so Cassandra is a um, paramedic and she has something happen to her that starts to give her the ability to see the future, but not like the future, like in the future, future, like a long way from now. No, no, no. Just kind of like the short term future. So in that quest <laughs> with the short term future, um, <laughs> she has to figure out how to save herself and also the lives of these young women because, uh, Ezekiel Sims, bad guy, is after them and wants to kill them. Um, and hijinks ensue, I guess, <laughs> all over New York City. Um, and, uh, this is like a movie that is clearly not very good. It's probably some studio meddling with editing. Like, we got to make this a little tighter. We got to make things a little more, you know, quick and easy for the audiences to figure out. Uh, and also, it takes place in 2003. So, uh, yeah, not a present day film. Uh, <laughs> it, it just feels a bit, a little off. Like, it's not so successful. But I will say this. For a movie that was clearly just not really firing on all cylinders. I was still like really engaged with it. And I thought everybody was actually really well cast except Tahar Rahim as Ezekiel Sims. Now he's a working actor. He's got to pay the bills. He's just wrong for this part. Also the writing for his part is bad. Um, there was from my perspective, like clearly parts about his character that were taken out and I can understand it. He's just not an interesting villain. They just really should have done something different to make it work because it just doesn't work and I've seen Tahar Rahim in a couple films that I thought he was good in and yet uh, 
oh, this is bad. It feels like his entire performance is 80 yard where they go in and they uh, recreate the dialogue. I don't know if it's his voice or somebody else's voice. It feels like it is his voice, but he's a foreign actor. So it just sucks that they would go ahead and do the audio again on his voice. Uh, on the flip side, like I said, the cast is pretty good. I like Dakota Johnson here a lot. I thought she was great. I just wish she had better things to do. <laughs> Better things to do besides kidnapping teenagers and trying to save their life. Um, it's just kind of silly. And uh, she's uh, trying to retrace the steps of the past with her mother and what it all means. And uh, the superhero-y stuff is really kind of slim. Uh, and there's not a lot of, you know, suiting up other than Ezekiel Sims in his spider stuff. Which is funny because it's just like, what is he doing? Uh <laughs> And this is also a pre-Spider-Man universe, like I said, Ben Parker. Um, yeah, there is a eventual baby born in this, and I don't need to say anything about that. But Madam Web, yeah, it is a bit messy. It's not successful. It's not a good film. I can't hate it, though. Like, I, I had a good time watching it as much as what was in front of me wasn't too great. Uh, for the three young women who were also <laughs> kidnapped. It's too funny. Um, they're played by Sydney Swin Sweeney, Isabel Merced, and uh, Celeste O'Connor. I like them all. Like they were good. They had to say silly stuff, but it's fine. Uh, also, for a movie set in two thousand and three, the costuming was pretty spot on. Uh, one of the young women wears this outfit with like jeans that were exactly like jeans I had in like two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Um, and then she had a T-shirt that says "I eat math for breakfast." And I swear, my sister had a shirt that was like "I eat." It was like I eat a bowl of bitchy for breakfast. <laughs> Or something like that that she got. It's like almost exactly the same. So great costuming. Um, CGI, not so great. There's a lot of silly stuff. I didn't mention like Ezekiel Sims, like how he finds these girls or anything. He does like, oh God. <laughs> he does like surveillance stuff. Um, and this is very much, you know, post, okay, so 2003, post enemy of the state. It's like basically enemy of the state level surveillance things and it's funny because in the last mission impossible movie dead reckoning the ai intelligence like can see everything everywhere so it does like a low level version of that but with zosha mamet at the helm of like the computer systems and it all ties together but i will say surveillance if we could think about it um very much a pointed topic in 2003 in the world of what it was back then. Um, that's not me trying to give Madame Webb credit. I'm just saying a very simple plot point was very of the time. <laughs> but yeah, I gave it two stars. Like, couldn't give this three stars as much as like I had like an okay time watching it. Um, it's just not a very great film. And I feel bad because uh, I do wonder what kinds of things were cut out of this and how they've futzed with it and it's pretty clear there's not going to be another madam web so this is a movie that really kind of kind of doesn't need to exist it feels like the studio just wanted to go ahead all oh, the sony you know property because they own the 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 spider-man stuff um just wanted to go ahead and <sighs> is it sony sony marvel however i i don't know anything about that stuff really i i I've read about it, like, in passing, whatever. Um, you had the rights to the story, the character, you just made it because you could take on the wave of superhero stuff, which is now clearly on the downturn. Oh, no. But, yeah, you could have a worse time at the movies. Believe me. 
so up next, uh, so I saw Madam Web on a Friday, and <laughs> I I didn't want to end the podcast with Madam Web, so I uh, I went ahead and watched something else that I wanted to have a good time. And I did enjoy this technically more than Madam Web, but not by much. Uh, the movie is Thank God It's Friday from 1978, directed by Robert Klein. The tagline is, after 5,000 years of civilization, we all need a break. It's Friday and everyone is going to the hot new disco. The Commodores are scheduled to play. If Floyd shows up with the instruments and Nicole and Nicole dreams of becoming a disco star. Not a great sentence. Um, other characters are there to win the dance contest or to put on a little excitement into a fifth anniversary. It's just like a night at a disco. That's all this movie is. It's a little goofy. It's post um, Saturday Night Fever. Uh, something that was just kind of made to like capitalize on the disco music scene. I mean, there's movies like that all the time. Different uh, waves of music and making films that reflect that time. Uh, but yeah, Donna Summer is in this as a character named Nicole who wants to have her song played for the you know, the dancers, so everybody can enjoy her song, which is Last Dance, which we all know. Uh, <laughs> people in this movie you might recognize. Uh, Jeff Goldblum is in this movie as a sleazy dude who tries to get with well, the woman who shows up to the club with her husband, who's very straight-laced, and they just want to have a good time, but they get separated and seduced by other people. Uh, Deborah Winger is in this movie as a young woman trying to just figure her way through the dance floor and maybe find a partner, but a bit of the men, um, many of the men are very skeezy and not her type. Uh, but then there's other things like young people just trying to get into the club who don't have the ID and they, you know, they break in through a side window or whatever. And, uh, uh, just people navigating the dance floor. Um, not like a lot of recognizable faces. I feel bad because I didn't really have time to research like who was what. And, and this might just be a movie where it's all about the concept. It's not about who's in it. Regardless, I had an okay time watching it. Uh, it was amusing. Had some funny moments. It's not a great film. I gave it two and a half stars. But my big complaint with the movie, you think they would get this right. There's not enough moments where people are just dancing and the music is like louder and you can really enjoy people having a good time like the music is kind of like an afterthought thought in some respects and that sucks and uh also it's from the late 70s so late 70s kind of behaviors towards people like uh well jeff goldblum's character is just like he finds out this one woman who is there with her husband is married and he's just like whatever you're coming home with me anyway uh <laughs> uh that's kind of what this is it's just everybody out to have a good time and it might be just a little bit sleazy and not everybody's treated well like donna summer's character nicole is given the shaft a bit uh I I knew this wouldn't be great, though. <laughs> I went into, into it really thinking, okay, so it's kind of like a Can't Stop the Music or Sgt. Pepper's uh, Lonely Hearts Club Band movie kind of thing. I haven't seen those movies, uh, but also in the same vein, maybe a Xanadu, where it's just about the music. Though Xanadu is better than this one, I'll say that. But Thank God It's Friday is okay. So, like I said, I gave it two and a half stars. It was fine. It's a quickie. I watched this on Tubi. It's only 89 minutes long. It's really, you know, not much of an investment. Uh, but I had wanted to see it. So, yeah, nothing lost there. But it turns out the day after, on that Friday, where I watched Thank God It's Friday, uh, I did go to the movies the next day. I saw Drive Away Dolls from 2024, directed by Ethan Cohen. 
No Joel Cohen, just Ethan on this one. <laughs> uh, the tagline is a story of two ladies going south. Jamie, an uninhibited free spirit bemoaning yet another breakup with a girlfriend, and her demure friend Marion desperately needs to loosen up. In search of a fresh start, the two embark on an impromptu road trip to Tallahassee, but things quickly go awry when they cross paths with a group of inept, excuse me, inept criminals along the way. This stars Margaret Qualley as Jamie. She's from Texas. She has a very put-on accent that I found a little annoying at times. Uh, but Marion, her friend, who needs to loosen up, is played by Geraldine Viswanathan. Uh, I liked them together. Not the biggest fan of Margaret Qualley's accent here. It became a little She really, like, lays into it, and it's not even, like, for comedic effect. Comedic, excuse me. Comedic effect. Uh, it just feels a little silly. But I don't think this is a bad movie despite me giving it two and a half stars i think this movie has you know enough fun bits to it that it's it's fine i just wish i laughed more there it's like a, it's classic amusing kind of movie things are happening that you don't see every day it's luckily about two women who are just not typical like movie bimbos or anything like that oh no they're two women who are lesbians who are on the road trying to figure things out in not just what they're doing but in themselves great fantastic there's also people along the way like Beanie Feldstein, who is the uh, ex-girlfriend to Jamie, who is a very, how do I say it? She's a very, <laughs> she's kind of a hothead. Uh, she's also a cop. And <laughs> her character, Suki, um, I really wanted more of that character. Like, she was not something I'd seen in a movie before. I really liked that. Uh, I could see her having her own film where she's just a crazy cop. Let's ma say maybe she gets transferred to a new station or something and she can't deal with the town she's living in and everything's going wrong. Uh, regardless, uh, what Drive Away Dolls is, um, this is going to work for some people like really well and others might just find it to be a bit of bit of a bore uh it really needed to be a little bit more punchy i think with its humor and fun because it just kind of i'm not gonna say it i'm not gonna say the i'm not gonna say it kind of plays it straight even though it's not <laughs> uh sorry um yeah it just could have it could have had a little more going on for it uh though for what it is this movie is only like 84 minutes long it does not overstay its welcome it also has bit parts by coleman domingo great pedro pascal only in the beginning and bill camp as curly the guy who runs the drive away uh shop that uh, the girls go to uh when they pick up a car that's not supposed to be the car they pick up i'm not going to spoil anything about the movie beyond that but uh if you're looking for a gay road trip movie uh and you're looking for some goofiness this is probably the movie for you uh though i do personally like i said i wish i had laughed a bit more i wanted some laughs i wanted some fun it kind of only gave me a little bit of fun so it's a little bit of a disappointment for me but it might be up your alley especially if you like the coen brothers movies um i think if you're a coen brothers fan you just have to see this movie uh, <laughs> i do want to note that this is a uh, co-written uh, by Ethan Cohen and his wife Trisha Cook. She's also produce a producer on this, so um, still keeping it within the family, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I know I'll see better movies this year, and I'll know I've I'll know I've seen worse too. So, but I was gonna see this one no matter what because I do like the Coens. I do generally like the loose uh, humor that they have, and 
this one, uh, yeah, like I wish I could give it three stars, but I just kind of can't. But I, yeah, this is me saying go see the movie despite what I say because you'll probably like it more than I do. And I say this mainly because if I look on my letterbox, the average rating for people who are users on letterbox is 3.1 stars. The average rating from people I follow, friends and such, a 3.5. So everybody's liking this movie more than me all day long. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you know what this is, Driveway Dolls, and you think you want to see it, just go see it because you'll probably have a good time. I can't say I had a bad time. I'm just saying. I left the movie a little disappointed I didn't laugh more. But yes, colorful characters, a good time, people you probably like. And Coleman Domingo, not in the movie enough. He is like on a roll. Okay, so earlier tonight I was watching the Independent Spirit Awards and he presented uh, the best lead performance. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, this guy, he's got an Academy Award nomination. He was in movies like Zola, really memorable as the bad guy. And he's getting recognition left and right. Um, he's, like, going to be it. Like, give him probably not even two years, he's going to have an Oscar. I swear. <laughs> so, I, I even his character, I would I wanted more out of him because he shows up and he's all presence. He's all class and just great. Like, he's just awesome. Okay, enough about Coleman Domingo. Driveaway Dolls, two and a half stars. You should probably go see it, despite what I say. <laughs> Okay, uh, so that is the episode. What's coming up? Ho, oh, um, I, uh, I forgot about this. Uh, Dune comes out next week, or Friday, and it's Sunday right now. So, oh, if you're listening to this, we are very close to Dune 2 coming out. Yeah, not first Dune, second Dune. Uh, I'm excited. I should be excited. I think I should watch Dune again, the first one. Uh, I have never watched all of the David Lynch one. That's one I've just shut off because I just could not figure out what was going on, unfortunately. And I know I'm not alone in that. Uh, but other movies coming besides Dune 2, Dune Part 2, Dune 2. Um, I do want to watch the movie Memory with Jessica Chastain and Peter Sarsgaard. Uh, a movie that was nominated for Independent Spirit Awards that I noticed was on Canopy is the movie Monica. I really want to watch that. Uh, I've been using Canopy like crazy, Hoopla, more so Canopy. Canopy just has better streaming quality. Sorry, Hoopla. Um, but I've got some other movies kicking around that I need to check out. Uh, next episode is definitely going to have more awards talk. And in fact, the next episode is going to have something very special that I have done over the years when it comes to, hmm, Academy and Award nominated films that you may have heard me discuss about on another podcast. If you, uh, you follow what other shows I've been on, uh, in the last couple years, hmm, what could it be? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, stay tuned for that next episode. That will definitely be coming not this Monday, the 26th, but the following Monday, the Monday before the Oscars. I am not going to disappoint. I'm going to do it. If you know what it is, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and there'll be other announcements coming soon about the podcast, things I'm doing, places you can uh, read, maybe. I don't know. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, things are going great. Uh, it's been two years of the pod and... Um, I'm going. I'm watching movies. I'm talking. Nothing's stopping me. And I hope you're enjoying it too. 
yeah, even if you weren't enjoying it, I would still be recording. <laughs> okay, so I'm Mallory. Thank you so much for listening to follow along on Instagram and Twitter. I'm not going to call it X, even though it is. Uh, Cinema 5K is the handle for uh, questions, inquiries. Send an email to cinema5kpod at gmail.com. Also, we're on the Facebook Cinema 5000 podcast, and uh, there'll be some more info coming about where else you can uh, get some Cinema 5000 information soon, very soon. I will uh, tell you about that when that happens. Uh, But yeah, thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you later. Okay, bye.